0: Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. We thank you for this glorious day and this glorious piece of creation in which to worship you. Amen. So this week our scripture is a section from the uh, Gospel of Mark known as the Little Apocalypse. So in preparation for this sermon, I went to Google and I typed in the word Apocalypse And then I clicked the news button to see if any headlines contain the word this week. And of course, in our apocalypse-obsessed culture, uh, it didn't disappoint. Here's a small sample. A Toronto Star article talked about how the new dance show Grand Finale brings humor to the apocalypse. Uh, A Forbes Forbes article was titled, How Britain's Shopping Centres Can Survive the Retail Apocalypse. I take it that's because of people shopping online or something. A CNN headline read, In California, the apocalypse keeps getting worse. An article from Live Science instructed readers on how to farm during a zombie apocalypse. There was an article about a new Australian play called The Hamlet Apocalypse about a group of people staging the play Hamlet on the eve of the apocalypse. There were several articles... By the way, this is just one day this week. I just typed it in, boom. Pff, you know, this is not, I wasn't even searching for these. It's all... It just was there. Um, there were several articles about the, uh, the hit TV series American Horror Story, whose subtitle for this current season is, you guessed it, Apocalypse, now, I could go on and on with uh, further examples, um, but I want to ask, what is up with our culture and the constant use of the word apocalypse or references, references to the apocalypse or movies and TV shows about the apocalypse? What on earth is going on here? Now, that's a question I want to try and answer today using the little apocalypse of, of, of Mark, where Jesus sort of breaks into a, an apocalyptic uh, form. I want to talk a little bit. Begin by talking a little bit about what apocalyptic literature is, where it comes from, and what purpose it serves. But then I want to turn to our culture today and try to figure out a, why we're so preoccupied with this worldview and its imagery. And most importantly, perhaps, I want to talk about what it has to offer us, which I think is important. Things. So the apocalyptic. Uh, Parts of the Bible are something most progressive Christians try to avoid. And our lectionary helps out with that uh, because there isn't a lot of material uh, like that in the lectionary cycles. Like many of the nasty bits found in the Bible, those get left on the cutting room floor and we're spared the uh, discomfort of dealing with these passages. Uh, But I think this is unfortunate for a few different reasons. Uh, First, as we've just said, our culture is absolutely uh, it's, is, is flooded with this material, and if we wanna understand our culture today, I think we really have to understand what apocalypticism is. Uh, secondly, the apocalyptic worldview uh, and its symbols I don't think should be left just for fundamentalist Christians only. Literal readings of this material can be quite dangerous, as we'll talk about. And lastly, as I said, apocalyptic literature and its worldview can be a very useful and powerful tool for us in our spiritual lives, living in the world, or our lives as a congregation. So let's just take a little bit of a look at what it is so that you might understand what I mean by that statement. I'm sure, uh, ah, you know, I want to say something else before my sermon. Uh, it's amazing to be here in this place where uh, Ryan and Ingrid are here, they're two of the the, uh, the best young minister is probably in the United Church, definitely in BC Conference, and it's amazing you have two in one place. So Ryan's probably taught you a lot of this, or they both have, but maybe it'll be a refresher for some. Um, apocalypticism is a literary form that had its beginnings in, the Ju- in Judea in the 2nd century BC. It comes out of the Jewish religion. Now, at that time, a king, a Greek king, named Antiochus IV was powerfully oppressing the Jews. The Greeks had taken over the region during the conquests of Alexander the Great, and uh, Alexander's generals had ruled the region uh, as kings after Alexander died. And for the most part, they let the Jewish people maintain their religious identity and their cultural identity. But this Antiochus IV uh, was a violent despot who had different plans. He outlawed Jewish religious rights and traditions and ordered the worship of Zeus as the supreme God. Now, this is a time of deep ang- anguish and crisis for the Jews. And it was out of this cauldron uh, that, that sprang this new form of literature in the book of Daniel and book of Enoch and stuff like that. So the apocalyptic worldview goes like this. Here it is in a nutshell. You might, you might This might spark some, I've seen some movies like that. Here it goes. There's a great battle between good and evil raging in the cosmos. And right now, we live in a time when evil is winning. But God has given a vision or visions to a special person, a prophet such as Daniel or Zechariah or Jesus. And God's message is that, yes, evil currently has the upper hand. But God will soon turn the tide toward the good and evil will be defeated. During, the time, uh, during this time of victory, the wicked will be judged and punished. And once God has defeated evil, a new era of heaven on earth will be revealed. Because so that's what the word apocalypse literally means, to reveal or unveil. So during an apocalypse, an evil world will be torn down, and a new God-filled world will be unveiled. So the first thing to note about apocalyptic literature is that it's written by people who are suffering from deep oppression, and it's a story, of, and its story, its core story of good overcoming the forces of evil, is meant as a message of hope and endurance for people who have the boot of tyranny on their face. Now, this is why uh, uh, it is also why much of its language is coded language. Apocalyptic literature has. Uh, all kinds of, it's full of great beasts with many heads and other fantastical creatures and there's all these visions of uh, suns falling from the sky and all these kind of amazing uh, um, natural uh, phenomena. Now, these these great beasts that are often in it, uh, they're often veiled or thinly veiled references to the current power structure that's oppressing the people. It would be too dangerous to criticize these things openly, so the criticism must be coded, hidden from the authorities in plain sight. The book of Revelation, for instance, which is a fierce critique of the Roman Empire, probably the most political book in the Bible, contains characters such as the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and the whore of Babylon. By the way, heavy metal... Music loves these images. Me and Ryan laugh all the time because he's, you know heavy metal incorporates everything out of the apocalyptic literature. You find all these characters on albums. Anyhow, so these creatures, uh, not only these uh, creatures directly referring to distinct parts of the Roman system of domination, what they're meant to do is to reveal the true face of empire as monstrous, rapacious, violent, and deceitful. So they, they serve as shorthand for the kind of forces that are uh, destroying the world of the writer. So as apocaly- a apoc- recap, apocalyptic literature is written by oppressed people to inspire hope in a seep- seemingly hopeless situation. And it uses coded language to criticize those who are doing the oppressing. Now, it should be said that this form of literature, as I said, began with the Jewish religion... But in the last 2,000 years, it has spread to many places and religions across the earth. Many peoples who have found themselves in a seemingly terminal uh, stage of oppression have produced literature or movements that repeat all of these forms that we just talked about. It's gone viral, we might say. So for one example, uh, take the ghost dance movement among the Native Americans in the 19th century. The takeover of the Western United States by settlers and by the US military was rapidly threatening to destroy many native bands. And within this situation of crisis, a man named Wavoka of the Paiute peoples claimed that he'd had visions. And in these visions, he was told that the proper practice of the traditional ghost dance would reunite the living with the spirits of the dead. It would bring the spirits of the dead to fight on their behalf. It would make the white colonialists leave, and it would bring peace, prosperity, and unity to Native American peoples throughout the region. So that sounds pretty familiar. Now, that particular apocalyptic movement failed, as many do. Sometimes the powers that be are just too strong to be resisted. But if you're going to put up a a last stand, uh, apocalyptic imagery can inspire courage, and endurance in those who are fighting for their lives. Its vivid and often spectacular imagery can reveal the true face of one's rulers, especially to people who have been indoctrinated otherwise, and jolt people into action against them. But it can also importantly inspire hope, as I've been saying. That's the point of apocalyptic literature. It was never to scare people like we see today so much, to scare people with terrifying end times predictions that we see in 20 movies a year. That was never the point. Its purpose is to proclaim the message that all of the prophets of the tradition proclaim. That even in the midst of darkness, God is still creating. That God is with us, even in times of great upheaval and destruction. That the forces of evil do not have the last word. God has not abandoned us. The good will eventually triumph. Do not lose hope. God is with us. That's the message. And I think it's an important uh, time in history for us to hear that message because I don't need to tell anybody in this room, we live in very troubled times. Which brings me back to the earlier question. Why is there so much apocalyptic imagery in our era? I think there's two main reasons for this. The first and probably more core one is that we live in a time of civilizational transition. It's a clunky phrase, it's true. I don't know what else to put it, civilizational transition. And it's basically what we're living through. We live in a time when the global modern world system, that was built on science and industrialism and capitalism, is no longer stable. And there are many reasons for this. Part of it is the rampant inequality that's been baked into, baked into the system over time, Some of it is the corruption of big money and government and our politics. And part of it is the environmental costs of this system are just becoming too burdensome. So it can't continue in the way it's been going. Now, when a system like this global world system moves, any system, but in this case the global world system, moves out of a state of stable repetition and into this phase of flux, a lot of chaos comes into the system. It's a time of great chaos. Now there are wild fluctuations and there's weird happenings that have never been predicted. And don't you feel that right now? I mean, how, how weird and odd and uncanny is this time we're living in? It's, um, it's very different than the relative stability of the post-war decades or the 70s and 80s that I grew up in. It's a pretty crazy time. So we're definitely in a, in a serious moment of flux and uncertainty and I think most people can feel it in their bones. So I think this is what's spurring a lot of the obsession with apocalyptic imagery. Our world is literally ending, and another one will eventually be unveiled. Uh, It doesn't help within this whole situation that many people today read these apocalyptic texts literally. So this has been a problem for 2,000 years, really. Something weird happens in the skies like a comet, and people scream that the apocalypse is upon us. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to find out who the Antichrist is or who the beast from the book of Revelation is. Oh, it's that king or the pope. The apocalypse is upon us. And people like Luther, Calvin, they all did this. But that's a bad use of these texts. As we said earlier, apocalyptic texts, apocalyptic texts, excuse me, let me back up. Apocalyptic texts are not maps of future events with us as detectives trying to figure out you know, to spot the signs and symbols. It happens all the time, by the way. We have a blood moon orange we had a couple months ago. There's preachers from the south going, it's it, we're here, the end times. No, that's not the point. Um, the, the point is a bad use of these texts. As we said earlier, apocalyptic texts tell a story of good and evil, uh, with evil eventually losing, and they're meant to inspire hope and endurance and people feeling hopeless that God is still with us. So people reading the text literally are not helping the situation, especially in our time of chaotic transition. These two forces are mixing together to create quite a cauldron. Now, is there any good news in all of this? Is there anything to be hopeful in a time which I think is generally producing fear and anxiety in most of us? I think there is. The great thing about systems that are destabilizing and chaotic is that new things can emerge out of them. Systems that are no longer stable look for new forms of order so they can become stable once again. So a time of destabilization is actually a time of great creativity and where newness is possible, true newness. It's a time where we can speak about things we're normally not supposed to speak about. It's a time when progressive experiments in medicine or agriculture or education can be tried and implemented because the old forms are breaking down and the system gets desperate for new ideas. And in this time of flux and chaos, individual actors can make a big difference. In a system that's really stable and plodding along, creating change is actually really hard. If things are working, the system doesn't want to hear it. But when things are broken and sliding in all directions, like they are now, the system becomes very open to things that can help it survive. So please, I want everyone to know that everything you do in this period, everything we do in this period, matters greatly. The biggest thing is not to give in to the fear and to instead be that force of love. The love that we bring into this world will deeply affect how this story unfolds and where we go from here. So let's be that force of love together. What gets unveiled will have a big will be greatly affected by us. So friends, I think we actually live in a time where great things are about to happen. Despite all the madness and the chaos, I truly believe we're in the middle of, of a great awakening, a great turning, and that a new and more just world is about to be unveiled. We're in the middle of an apocalypse now. I think we just need to stay tuned and bring our best to those around us. And as Jesus is always reminding us and Jesus always reminds his disciples, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He's always saying it to me, he comes back, don't be afraid. Don't give into to the fear and division. God is creating now, even in the midst of this darkness. God is doing a new thing, still, now. And what will be revealed on the other side of this tribulation, I believe, will be glorious. Maybe so. Amen.